Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back. This is the FlowTrack Podcast. FlowTrackPodcast at gmail.com is our email address. You can find the show on our YouTube page where we go live every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 9 a.m. Central. That's the FlowTrack Podcast YouTube page. You can also download the show wherever you listen to audio podcasts. I'm Kevin. He's Gordon. Happy Monday morning to you, Mr. Mac. How are you doing? Doing all right. I mean, Eagles won, which is always a great thing. I as People know on this podcast, I love my Philadelphia sports teams. So Jalen Hurts looking like the next uh, Russell Wilson out there. It was pretty good sighting. But the, the highlight, or I guess low light of the weekend was I fell on my bike. I got a little cut in my hand. Oh, what happened? I, uh, I fell. I just, I'm bad at biking. I, I'm not good. And I'm my knee is the one that the major cut is at. Just not good at biking. I haven't mastered it yet at age 33. Mm. I need to work on it. Uh, no, I just – I was turning and thought I could make a sharp turn, couldn't, and fall over. So, How fast were you going? Was this a road bike or just a regular cruiser? It's a cruiser. And I was on a like a bike sidewalk type thing, like a path. Mm-hmm. And I just wasn't good at it. And no one was around, so no one saw the fall. But then, That's like good. two minutes later, there was like a jogger who jogged by. It was like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Yeah, Whoa. I'm okay." So it was a little. See, that stings. That stings because yeah. they didn't need to say that. They knew you were okay because you had been riding for a while now. But they just wanted to turn the knife and let you know yeah. that they saw you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What so. was the, was the jogger your girlfriend? No, it was not. It was a stranger. Okay, that could have been a plot twist if it was. <laughs> In which case, I apologize to the jogger for doing that because they actually were, in that case, expressing genuine concern. I'm really good at falling when I run, and I've gotten better over the years at trying to play it off because I usually fall in very public places, sidewalks that are parallel to major streets. So the yeah, cars yeah. aren't going to stop, but there's just a ton of cars going by. I remember the last time I fell, it was on Lamar Boulevard here in, in Austin, just scraped my hands up crazy bad. And I knew at least five cars saw what happened, but I like to pretend they didn't because they kept driving. But the reality was they kept driving because they're on a road going about 50 miles an hour. So, yeah, that's a little more embarrassing than the bike. I feel like people are used to the bike, seeing crashes on the bike. Yeah. I just got the bike. I got the bike like three weeks ago, too. So breaking it in already, literally breaking (laughs) it in. Yeah. Is the bike okay? Yeah, bike's fine. Bike's fine. Okay. Need not Bikes so much. Fine. Bikes I, didn't get, I need I want to get some Neosporin on it. I want to stretch this segment out so Travis could clip it because he likes to clip the things where you admit to doing embarrassing things and puts it up on the site before we're even done. Like Gordon cannot ride a bike. Headline on Flowtrack. It's just, it, it's it's the small things in life that, that get me excited. I want to thank you for, for before we get into the show, uh, turning me onto the show Clickbait on Netflix, of which I devoured all 
eight episodes in an unhealthily yeah. short amount of time. A little disappointed in the finale. I won't spoil it here, but maybe we can do a spinoff pod where you recommend Netflix shows to me and I watch them way too quickly. Yeah. It's very, it's like 13 reasons why, but like the mayor of East town slash meets 13 reasons why. That's what I think. You, is. you, I think you told me about 13 reasons why too, which is what I did that one. That was a couple of years ago now though, which again, I don't think it was like, none of these shows were like great television, but they're perfectly made for Netflix. They're perfectly made for binging because they do these twists in the last two minutes. And then before you know it, that bar, that bar moves so fast now, by the way, on next episode, <laughs> like first, like originally you had to actually go back, find the next episode, click on it. Then the bar would move. I don't know, at like eight minute mile pace. And now it's flying across. The, it's like Safan Hassan. When your episode ends, it's like all the way. And I'm like, I don't even know if I want to watch it. And they're not all of a sudden you're, you're in before you even really consented to doing it. I like that tie in the track. The, 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 the speed of next episode bar is basically uh, a Safan Hassan where it used to be, you know, mm -hmm. you and your local 800 trying to break yeah. 30. Yeah. yeah, Or maybe it used to, it was like the 400 hurdles a few years ago, and now it's the 400 hurdles today. Yeah. Speaking hey. of 400 hurdles, there speaking of 400 hurdles at the Continental Tour in Berlin, Gordon, we got to see Warholm one last time for the season. What we believe to be the last time. We always have to say that because you never know. There could be late appearances here and there. But for the 400 hurdles, this looks to be it. I know he's run the national championships for a while and 4808 and i was curious i watched this race i was more curious to find this race and watch it than if he ran 4708 because it's been a while since warholm in a final has run 48 seconds and i wanted to know hey how did this race actually transpire how did he get to to 4808 did he wait one second in the blocks to let everybody go first and then take off did he did he run nine hurdles and then start skipping across the line did he do the you know his typical viking scream um as he walked across the line and it turns out he did none of that he paced this out evenly he ran this in a way that provided minimal embarrassment to his competition while also running i would say in second gear for him he went out kind of quick but then you could tell by the 200 meter mark that he was chilling out there and and ends with a, a 48 low here, which you look at his post-Olympic performances of 47.3 and a 48.08. This is easy for him. This is way, way too easy for Carson Warholm right now. Yeah, at this pace, you know, if he runs a few more races, eventually you and I would be able to compete with him because look at that. It goes mm -hmm. 47.3, 48.0. He's probably going to run a 48 high next, and all of a sudden he's running 49s and 50s. Before you know it, you know, he's going to be going up against uh, Sidney McLaughlin and Dalil Muhammad. You know, like a mm -hmm. mixed-gender 4 by 400 meter hurdle relay or something. I don't know. I know, I know we're recording this on uh, NFL Overreaction Monday, but I'll just throw this to you. This trend, should we be worried about Carson Warholm? Go. <laughs> uh, we... Um, we should be worried. Yeah, maybe. No, we should not be worried. Uh, I used to kind of be worried about Carson Warholm because you br bring up the, the, the stat that he tweeted out. This is his third straight season of being undefeated, you know? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. when you have such a long win streak, the pressure builds and eventually you think it's going to crack. Like you don't win yeah. forever. Like eventually it ends. The odds of mm -hmm. him never losing a 400-meter hurdle race for the rest of his life is very rare. I mean, he could pull it off by being like, all right, I'm never doing it again and just do a different event <laughs> for the rest of his career, which would be kind of yeah. bold. Be like, hey, I was perfect. Uh, but that's the only worry I have for something, like, for something like Carson Warholm in the next few global cycles, not cycles, but global championships, is yeah. the pressure of never losing, right? And, here, and here's the he's problem. He's fit to run fast no matter what. But the question is, is he mentally fit to do another, a fourth straight season of winning and then a fifth straight, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. 
And here's the problem. He happens to be an event in an event where the longest win streak of all time is Edwin Moses's nine years of winning 122 races in a row. So the cost benefit analysis here is pretty skewed in, in one in, in one sense, because if you're going to commit to trying to go undefeated, he's got to plan on doing this for for six more years to get near Moses versus, uh, I don't know, maybe he just prioritizes world records and um, racking up Diamond League wins. But do you think that's one of those marks that like, do you see? I know unbeatable records are always a fraught discussion because nothing's unbeatable. But I mean, Moses, nine years, nine months and nine days, 122 races, including 107 finals. I'm reading from the Team USA bio here. Yes, do you see anyone? Do you see anyone racking up in a track event a nine-year win streak? Well, it depends. I mean, I I don't. I wasn't around following Edwin Moses, but like, how many of those wins were legit wins? Like, and how many were like something like Carson Warholm doing this, where you are clearly better than the rest of the field? So no matter what, you know you're going to win, so you're able to cruise and like. If Carson Wilhelm wanted to, he could probably put on 20 more 400 meter hurdles and like throughout a season. Yeah. And just like, but if you're talking, you run 49 seconds, get the win, move on. You know, that's the question. Is like a lot of these athletes now, they're running fewer times to against elite competition as opposed to more times against subpar competition. And I would love to know like how many times of those. 100 plus Edwin Moses victories were legitimate, like against top eight talent in the world versus, oh, it's an easy win. Or like Carson Wilhelm showing up to the Stanford invite to run the 400 hurdles. Yeah. I mean, he's on the circuit, though, is what I'm saying. He's on the circuit for 10 years. Were there some races where, you know, he didn't run every single race? But if you're talking about 122 races over nine years, averaging more than 10 races a year obviously you know 1980 he wins the trials but then there's the the boycott um they don't start doing world world championships until 83 right which is he won he wins the world title there then you go into uh 84 wins the wins the olympics yeah i i, I think the biggest obstacle i mean Moses' streak is insane it's incredible he 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 won those titles. He was out on the circuit for that long. I think the the biggest obstacle to it, as you mentioned, is the frequency of racing. Because like you 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 look at some of these seasons, you pull up Moses's uh, some of Moses's years. I mean, he's he's running ten fifteen times consistently in the in the late seventies and into the early eighties. So just that level of racing is not as not as common and. You have someone like Warholm, but then you also have someone like Benjamin. Is it impossible that Benjamin beats Warholm over the next couple of years? Absolutely not. It's just a it's just a number that always sticks out to me. Nine years is crazy. So Carson has won twenty two in a row right now. So he just needs a hundred, and he's got it. Yeah. All right. His right last around the loss was at the Ostrava Continental Cup, September eighth, twenty eighteen. Mm -hmm. Got third. I do like the fact that I bring up 100. I, I do like the fact that I bring up 122 straight wins, and your first reaction is, well, how many of those are legitimate? Well, then, I mean, it's 122. Even if 20 of them were not, you're still talking about 100 races in a yeah, row. Yeah, but if 20 of them are not legitimate, like, then it's not, I don't know. You know what I mean? No. We no don't, like, the, the sport you is run, the, the scheduling is different than it is now. It's different. So, but I'm saying, say, say you didn't even, and a lot of these you didn't have major. The competition's for. different. The depth is different. Like, was there a? Oh, 100 percent, 100 percent, 100 percent. It was different. Wasn't a Rod yeah, Benjamin chasing, you know, Moses. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Nine years though. Nine years is Bolt didn't do nine years. Kipchoge didn't do nine years. It's a lot of time. It's a lot of time to to stay undefeated. And you take world championships and Olympics out of it, just going through the Diamond League and being undefeated for that long is, is just something that – I don't know. I don't know. I don't, it's going to be a while. Who was, who was getting second 
in the Olympic final when Edwin Moses was running and how fast were they running? That's a, that's a question that I can pull up right here. So you want to look at like 84? Sure. 80, 84. I mean, it's not like his time. I mean, his times are really good. He ran yeah, 47. Well, second? How fast was second? Uh, second. So he ran 47.75 at the Olympics. Danny Harris, 48.13 for, for silver. And then if you go back to 83 and you pull up the world championships, the inaugural world championships, he ran 47.50. Uh, Harold Schmid ran 48.61. So he's ahead of his time. He's, he's winning these races by solid margins. Yeah. Over the course of nine years, there's definitely going to be races that you don't run where there was a chance someone could beat you. But all that being said, when you look at it with the benefit of history and you see that number, because we look at Warham just this dominant figure who's come in, in the clutch so many times. And you said he's run, what, 22 in a row? Yeah. So he's got to get a hundred more. That's just, I don't know. That's a long time to stay healthy and, and, and be out there and sure. run that many races too. too. Anyway, true, true, true. moving on, moving on. Uh, Bracey, you want to talk about Marvin Bracey here in Berlin, 995, bunch of false starts in this race, but Bracey looked really solid again. You can count on him for a 9-9, Gordon. You can pretty much pencil Bracey in for a sub-10 performance every time he goes out. Yeah, I mean, Bracey isn't going anywhere. He's another one of those guys who's going to be in the mix in 2022 uh, in the kind of recalibrated 100-meter dash that we now know. Uh, we used to thought we had the calibration with it being Coleman and Lyles, and but now the back from, back from not the grave, but the healthy Bromel is a factor, obviously Curly becoming the dominant factor he is at the global stage. Bracey coming back doing a second run here after making the Olympics in 2016. It's just deep. You know, there's a lot of guys. And Bracey's still running 9-9 late in the season. He mm -hmm. could have made that Olympic team, man. He was a 9-8 guy, and he had an injury, and he wasn't able to put together the trials. But he has the ability and the talent to make a global team. So he could be a guy who upsets a Bromel, who upsets a Curly, or upsets a Baker. Mm -hmm. in the trials. I know everyone's like, oh, shoot. All right. This big gun all of a sudden is not on the, the world team. So Yeah. I remember he ran the pre-trials in Miramar. He ran the, the 985, so then got on the radar, and then he runs the, the 10 flat in the opening heat, and it looked like it was trending that way, but get, picks up the unfortunate injury. Yeah. I mean, th throw him in there. Only 27 still. There's still time. He had all those years off too. So you'd think his career would go on a little bit longer. Just a tough time to run the 100. Tough time to run the 100 in the United States right now. Yeah, so that's his one, two, three, four, five, six sub 10 mm -hmm. of the year. You know, and a bunch of those sub 10s were into headwinds too. Three of the six. Half of them were into headwinds. So mm -hmm. I wish he a had a chance at I wish he had a chance at pre. That would have been fun yeah. to see that with all those good. big guns out there running and running at the Prefontaine Classic, but still clicking them off. And if you can go sub 10 consistently, we we talked last week, what's 2022 going to be? Is it going to be a 9-8 year, right? Or is it going to be a 9-7 year? Because if it's a 9-8 year, a lot of people have a chance for gold next year. You think it's going to be 9-7 year, though, which I think would make it a little bit more exclusive or would make it more exclusive territory. But if things get in the nine eights again, like they did this year with the winning time, I think for trials and also at the, at the world championships, something like Bracey could factor in. Yeah. You see fans back in mid August, not clamoring, but uh, athletes clamoring for Bracey to be in pre, but the way mm -hmm. that works, you know, this is the whole Nike thing and like mm -hmm. rules and this, that, and the other thing. So, uh, rules you know, i don't rules i don't know the stupid like political like this that agents yeah this, oh no you need this oh too many americans all that you know all that all that stuff yeah all that stuff uh how about k grace hey ends her season with the win 401 just dominant last can we pull up travis her last 250 like this race was somewhat competitive i don't know if we have it 
but she just put the foot on the gas with with about 250 to go and just blew this thing wide open it was off a pretty conservative relative to recent diamond league races um but yeah you see this margin right here we'll throw it up but like if you go back to to just when they're on the back stretch it was like real close and then she just decided to make a move and then left everybody in her in her wake um i was very impressed i'm very impressed by kate grace's ability to bounce back and forth between the eight and the 15 and the mile and also her ability just to have this endless season go on forever because i'm guessing at the beginning of the year she had everything plotted out with the olympics doesn't make it and then has to pivot to plan b and here she is in september still winning big races so obviously she's been doing incredible 800s uh according to emma coburn her 10 sub twos five sub 159s four 157s pretty good. good but more than pretty good uh beautifully good some people would say um but now you're on 401 pb i remember we made a i used i made a comment that she chose the wrong event in 2019 when she did the 15 instead of the eight because she could have made the 18 mm -hmm. but now that the eight has you know raven rogers and a thing mo who a thing ain't losing in a long time and raven's a gamer who can make mm -hmm. more world teams you look at the 1500 you kind of only yep, look at really yep. el perrier as the only steadfast person for the next few years do you think kate will then once again go back to the 15 away from the eight yeah you were right in 2019 by the way and but that doesn't mean that you, you stick with that event you have to go based on where the opportunities are and if you're equal would you say she's equally good in both or i'd say a little bit better in the eight would we say is that fair to say right now I would say she's better in the eight, but the question is right. the field the team is, is easier better in the eight. Yeah. The easier thing yeah. to make is in the 15, you know? Like, I mean, Kate yeah. Grace is a 157 runner. You'd think she should be able to outkick Schlachterhofen, Osika, McGee, Norris. Like, mm -hmm. I don't know. It just, it's easier to find a spot for Kate Grace in the top three in the 15 than it is to find her in a top three yeah. in the eight. So, yeah, which is why. Again. Yeah, I think both, <laughs> both, if it's possible, and when it gets closer, if you have to choose one, then you look at the nature of the field. Because you're right, 2019 the opportunities were larger than the eight. Now we get to 2022, the opportunities look to be not for sure yet. We have to wait till we get closer, but opportunities look to be much better if you're an American woman in the in the 15 than in the 800 and if she keeps running like she is i think she'll just get to find a way on one of the teams or the other do you feel that way if she just if this is who kate grace can be next year in may and june and july that she's gonna make a team yeah i wonder what events first in the qual like uh if it's gonna be possible to do both because she entered both in 2019 but then scratched the eight semis in favor for the 15 final. Yeah. And it didn't work out. You just want her to be able to not have to pick. Like, be able yeah. to not have to have a regret of like, ooh, maybe I should have done the other event. And I was I all in on her be being the second best 800 meter runner in the world. And now all of a sudden I'm like, don't even run the eight. Do the 15. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. yeah. Taking advice from Gordon should be its own segment on the show where you yeah. offer pro advice that you immediately retract. Yep. They have prioritized Eugene 2022 doubles for the actual world championship. And by doubles, I mean the common doubles because we know the 4-8 double isn't possible because we looked that up the thing for a thing. Well, but the 1-2, two, the 2-4, two, the 8-15, et cetera, et cetera, are possible. So it would be weird to me if they made it possible for world champs, but they didn't make the 8-15 possible for trials. So I think she's going to be able to have the opportunity to do to do both, and I think she should keep that option open. In the same way, I mean, a lot of didn't – I mean, Martinez, I'm thinking of famously in, in 2016 at the trials – when there was that big fall in the women's eight and then comes back and sneaks in and gets it in the, in the 15. There's been a lot of people who have, who 
have gone for both and and been unsuccessful in one but made it in the other so i think it i think it's pretty straightforward that keep keep both um options open for yourself yeah so what else happened this weekend man well we can say in berlin real quick devin allen won again uh we could pull up his season we i feel like we just keep adding on to and then he ran another 13-0 and then he ran another 13-0 and th this time it was a 13-1 uh but a good win here over ronald levy of of jamaica he's Allen's in this nice little sweet spot here where he's running, you know, 13-0 to 13-1 low just over and over again. I'm no doubt he was buoyed by Oregon's win over Ohio State the day before. He put the O up at the at the start line there. But Allen, when he's at his best, really takes advantage of the distance from the last hurdle to the finish line. And like he has that nice little burst coming off that final hurdle and he's able to eke out some of these wins and i think that in combination with just how technically sound and strong he's been over the hurdles themselves have been have been a real difference maker i think if you reran the the olympics now i think he could get i think he'd be a pick obviously to get into the medals now that we've seen just how consistent he can be yeah he's quoted from uh the mix zone in berlin it felt good not quite good as my race a few days ago, but still a fast time and great feel to beat Levy, the bronze medalist. It's always good to compete well against a good field. That's a very good, like, media-trained answer. Very, like, <laughs> vanilla, generic, just happy to be here so I don't get fined type answer. Morgan <laughs> taught him well how to give yeah. good uh, quote speak. Yeah. You, you brought up the fact that U.S. could have three sub- 13 guys next year and i i i'm looking at you know allen's top 10 hurdle marks 1303 from 2016 then his next couple are from 2021 the 1306 and 1308 it's on one hand you're like thinking ceiling okay he's already hit his ceiling and he's just he'll bang up against the 1303 a bunch of times but he won't be able to do it versus the breakthrough and if you run consistently at a 130 clip or 13-1 clip, eventually you're going to have that that one big breakthrough race. What do you think it is for Allen? Like, was 13-03 the breakthrough, and then these times are just filling in the gaps there? Or do you think he's going to keep pushing on this this barrier and he'll get the right race and the right conditions and, and get sub-13 in his career? Uh, Travis, could you go on his profile to his progression by year? Um, yeah. I just want to check out his 110 progression. So I think a lot of, I think his 16 and 17, and you can argue mm -hmm. his 14 for that matter, but his 16, 17, I felt like were very consistent. I think he was kind of a little banged up in 19. And mm -hmm. I, I honestly think his norm is 13, 10, 13, 0. And I think that, the fact that he got slower in 18, 19, 20. 20, you can obviously throw out completely. But uh, I think that was just a fact of injuries and not having a full season from start, middle, and end. Because in order yeah. to run 13-0, same thing in any sprint event. You just need to have a really good season, start, middle, and end to like hit your true potential in any short sprint. You can't just kind of have – you can't miss too much of training and then show up and run 9-8. Like, that just doesn't happen. So I think uh, I think thirteen zero is what he's always been, based on his twenty sixteen and his twenty twenty one. So I do yeah. think a twelve, he's gonna run twelve nine before he before he's done. So next two years, probably the end of his prime. He's got two more years to do it, and I think it's gonna happen. All right, we should mention another highlight from Berlin. Uh, Valerie Allen breaks the American record in the discus continuing this run of american success in the women's throws we saw it at the diamond league final last week as well but almond goes 71 16 for a massive massive victory and she cracks into the 71 meter mark gordon yeah she's good she uh she, the like you said the women throwing 
in the U.S. from the shot all the way up to the hammer has been basically shot discus and hammer has been incredible. Uh, Kara mm-hmm. Winger was pretty good in the javelin. She's kind of on the end of her career, but right now you have a woman in each event who can break an American record any given moment, and that's pretty mm-hmm. incredible. So Allman doing it late in the season here in Berlin. Look at that little rockets going off when they throw the discus. It's like yeah, I don't think that off a a bomb or something when you when the discus lands. That's pretty. I crazy. don't think that worker was prepared. Did you see that? The worker who's going to run out like gets kind of spooked here. You can't see it on that one because the rocket. You got to look for a lot of things if you're judging the discus, right? You got to be worried about the discus, and then they spring this rocket pyrotechnic shooting up from the the ground at you i think that was a, a little little too much there they got spooked but yeah back to allman 71 16 yeah you throw in what the u.s has been doing in the shot obviously the hammer how you know they had a chance for multiple medals at the olympics didn't have a good day and didn't get any but that doesn't change the fact of how solid they are had an american record this summer in the in the women's jab as well too so you got some got some interesting uh Interesting storylines to follow next year for the U.S. and women in the in the throws. But seventy-one sixteen, where her previous best was right at seventy meters, seventy fifteen, um, and she threw a seventy oh one this year. But this is only her yeah third time over seventy meters. So Valerie Allman improves that American record out past seventy-one meters. Um, and if you throw if you throw up her Instagram one more time, Travis, put up on the screen. Throwing it up, you gotta love her hashtags that she decides to use. Especially, oh the yeah, we talked about sports. Before. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's good. Hashtag well, you're big sports. Into, you're big into tagging correctly, whether or not this is podcast <laughs> or articles on the site. So you should appreciate that she tags things yeah. correctly. That's good. Power, power fitness. Yeah, I mean, you got a very broad one in sports. And then you have a very narrow one in throws by freaking Scion, a reference to her coach, which is good. In world lead, yeah. carry a record. She's covering it all. Sound mind, sound body gets her sponsor in there as well, too. Uh, dream team. You know, maybe you search the dream team tag. You see the 92 men's basketball team in Barcelona, but you also see Valerie Allman and Zeb Scion. Yeah. See both. Right there. All for one price of the hashtag it's good uh all right great north run let's talk great north run. let's go to the roads here for for a moment gordon uh this was uh live on flow track you can see the archive of the race helen o'berry wins the women's title on the men's side of things it was mark scott outlasting edward cheserak with galen rupp in third uh 101 22 for mark scott nine seconds over ches Rupp was back. Rupp was battling with that that second group and ultimately finishes 20 seconds back in 101-52. What did you think? I mean, we had Scott. This was his third half marathon. Come off a track season where he showed a lot of promise early on, then got banged up. Uh, Cesarek has been, hasn't been competing a, as much. This was his debut. And then you have Rupp tuning up for, for a full marathon. So three people in the top three spots coming from all different angles in terms of preparation and, their, and then their uh, – their season thus far yeah i mean scott winning makes sense uh he has the most kind of experience compared to cheserak obviously and also being on you know in his home country it's a little more motivation you kind of you, you get up for that look at he's like cheering on the crowd as he come down the home stretch he, he wanted to do well here so scott winning makes sense i was very impressed with cheserak this is his half marathon debut 61 mm-hmm. something is a pretty good starting point for him and it gets me really excited to see all right what when is he going to do his marathon and what type of marathoner can he become you know so i'm excited for that and then rup obviously he's coming off the olympics so it's not really expected for him to be throwing down anything crazy like a 60 or 59 or anything mm-hmm. like that uh he's just trying to get his body right in a quick turnaround for chicago when I talked to the coach, the coach, Mike Smith, told me, he was like, yeah, he's just trying to get a, get another race in his legs, kind of get the Olympics out of the legs and get a new race in it, you know, kind of get ready for Chicago. You got you can't just go 
cold turkey into another marathon, you got to have a race or two in between. Mm-hmm. And he managed to beat Smith, who was wearing salmon-colored shorts. So for, for Rupp, you, just, you want to make sure you, you hold the line. Don't let anybody with salmon-colored shorts beat you. Uh, I thought I thought a question? Scott, yeah, sure. Here's a question. How do you think this photo right here originated? Like, how do you think they got these three guys to put their hands up like that? Like, who do you think? It just it seems, okay, so- seems like a very awkward photo that of the athletes putting their hands up, like in a victory form. I don't know. This, okay, this so- is kind of random to you. Yeah. So for those of you who are listening and not watching, there's a finish line shot of the three. Mark Scott's in the middle. His arms are at a 90 degree angle with num- the num- number one finger up. You have Rupp, his hands straight up and clenched fists, so they're all the way above his head. And then you have Cesarek, similar to Rupp, but elbows a little bit bent. So they don't really look in unison at all. Here's what I think happened. Someone was yell, a photographer or somebody else was yelling what to do at them. And they're like, hey, put your hands up, put your hands up, put your hands up. And then this is the end, end result. Because that's what happens a lot of time. Photographers or media personnel at the finish line want to create these, these shots, and this is what you get. This does look extremely awkward. Also, you can tell the difference between the people who are used to running on the road versus people used to running on the track and the way they celebrate. Because Mark Scott, if you watch that finish, he did like three different cycles of a celebration because I don't think he knew how close he was to the actual finish line. Whereas if he's at the track, he knows, okay, I'll just pump my, you know, do one last look with 50 meters, then pump my fist and go across. He just kept going through. He was like asking for more noise and he's pumping his fist and he's doing that. And then he's like, wait a minute, I'm still going. Okay, guess I got to do that thing again. Wait, Cesarek's not going to catch me, is he? All right, let me just pump my fist one more time. And then he goes across the line. A little, a little more seasoning on the road and he'll just be like Kipchoge. You know, he'll just do that a couple fist pumps and then fly across the finish line and he'll be, he'll be all good. Um, serious question though on Ches before we move on. What's his, what's his best event? What's his future? I mean, you have to. I don't know what his best event is yet because you never know what a marathon is going to do to someone. It could be the best thing that ever happened to them or the worst thing that they've ever done to <laughs> themselves. So uh, I'm just excited for he's going to do it eventually. And you just want to know like, is he going to be like a 210 guy or can he find a way to be like a 206, 205 guy? And you're like, whoa, I didn't, you know, because. He has talent. We know what we've seen what he did in all of his Oregon days. He's able to run. He has a fast 5K and 10K to his name. Um, mm-hmm. But he just hasn't had. Yeah, obviously the, the mile. You just have to see. You just want to see. I think he's kind of in love with the track, right? And you kind of want to use up all of your years of track capability first before you bother going to the roads. But with Chez, the way his. His post-collegiate career worked out with not really having the citizenship thing figured out, whether he was going to compete for Kenya or U.S. That, mm-hmm. that kind of pushed back his his track opportunities. And then obviously pandemic pushed it back for everyone. I think maybe he's probably having another – he's probably having a moment like, hey, maybe, maybe I should think about the marathon more seriously and mm-hmm. – look at that as a new way to kind of reset my career as a post-collegiate athlete of like, all right, new challenge. Maybe this is the place where I can thrive the way I was thriving at N- in the NCAA level. He was good at everything. Because you think of him, oh, wow, he wins all these NCAA cross-country titles. But then you remember what he did in the mile, in, the mile, in college yeah. too. And then in that, in that 2018 season where he ran the 349 mile, he also ripped off a really good 3k and you're like all right well this this is going to be his his best race but now you look and he's 27 and his pb in the 5k is 1304 and you're thinking all right well 1304 isn't what it used to and then you're looking at these olympic finals filled with former ncaa guys and you're thinking okay well he could be in there with these guys yeah. fisher right fisher mcdonald guys like that yeah justin knight just like and, and and you just wonder, okay, where when is that race going to come? And you're right, he's had to deal with obstacles that those other athletes haven't had to deal with, which has certainly impacted him him greatly. But he has the the talent to be there. I think at this point, it's just finding the right 
riding, find the right event. So those 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 1500 mile times, the outdoor ones are a bit misleading because he has the 349 from from BU indoors, which is what really sets him apart or really shows his his true ability was those I- indoor marks, right? Uh, and the 738 indoor, I remember that one. That was that same. That was that stretch where he was just uh, on absolute fire uh, as a, as a professional runner. I wonder where it's going to come from because, listen, not everybody is Safan Hassan and has this crazy range. But if you're trying to search for an event, okay, what is it? I mean, running 349 in the mile and then doing doing a half marathon as well as he did here too, you're thinking, all right, well, there's got to be something, right? Yeah. There's got to be something. That, but 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 the, eventually you got to you got to choose you got to choose one thing because I don't think any pro runner wants to be, they would trade being top 10 or top 15 in a lot of events for being top three in one event. Cause yeah. that's where the real, that's where the real purpose of, of someone's career is. Um, we mentioned the women briefly, Obiri six second win over Ailish McCoggan, who's had a solid season. Obiri, she's got pretty good range, you know, formerly 1500 then moves up 510 and then now showing her ability at the half marathon charlotte purdue was third but a ways back then Loketti, scott uh molly seidel won 11 for seventh i look at her run and i look at rup's run pretty similarly in that you're just it's a half marathon in training for a full marathon and those i think are the races that you can take the least amount from like they give you the least <laughs> definitive conclusions because sometimes you ru- they run them too fast and then their marathon is flat and then sometimes they run them slow and it then they a couple weeks later they run a full marathon at close to the same pace and just like wait what yeah you see this uh instagram uh molly seidel posted before the, the half it's like the yeah, 10 yeah. year anniversary of Chez and molly went in the footlocker and now they're that's, in europe running a half marathon it's <laughs> pretty cool kind of wild that's pretty yeah yeah pretty cool because longevity is not guaranteed in in the sport especially for people who win uh footlocker titles and they've both had incredible journeys to to get there all right so now we have the women's picture at the finish line let's compare and contrast this one so now <laughs> so you have a beer okay so Obiri's is doing the same thing in the middle as mark scott so this must have been something that was discussed prior to or the communication was clear. Let's zoom in a little bit if we can on this. So Obiri's in the middle with the 90 degree angle and the number one fingers. But then you have McColgan, who's to Obiri's right, just with one arm up holding a water bottle, right angle on the arm and their left arm down. And it's kind of, it's symmetrical, right? Because then Purdue's on the left side and her left hand is up making a 90 degree angle. You know what I think happened here? I think <laughs> these road pictures are used to be used to being taken with flags so everybody's more awkward when they're not holding it's awkward because they have no like thing nothing to hold like if you if you were to photoshop flags into the cesarek rup mark scott photo it would look normal because it would just be Mm -hmm. holding flags behind them same thing here i think it's the awkward of thing like you're supposed to give me something to hold you know yeah it's true and the women here are trying to do it with their water bottles but it's not working you know well, okay, so I'm looking now. Yeah, O'Berry's holding a water bottle and then a thumbs up. So she's not putting a number one finger up. Because Mark Scott and Helen O'Berry are an advantage in this in this situation because they won. So they can put up the number <laughs> one finger. They can do something with their body. Rupp, Chez, right? They have they're doing fists <laughs> because they're not Rupp's not gonna hold up a number three and Chez is not gonna put up a number two. So instead they just do they just literally are, are doing the old double fist here and putting them up in the sky. I think you're right about the flags. Yeah, Chez isn't used to even looking. Chez isn't even looking at the something. photo. Yeah, look at yeah. Chez. He's not even looking. Like the person who yelled, "Put your hands up." Chez is like looking over to the to the left. It's yeah, it's just an awkward photo altogether. Yeah, two two different setups. I think similar motivations on both. Two different results. Both very awkward. I think yes. like this is a hilarious. Like Charlotte Charlotte Purdue is like waving. And hey then Alice McColgan, Alice McColgan looks like she's going to sell the water that she's holding in her right hand. Like it looks like she's doing an ad. Three for four, three for six. 
<laughs> yeah, she's outside a game or something. But she's just like, or she's doing product placement for this for this water. I just, you know, Beery's got the thumbs up at another water. Yeah, it is funny. Totally right nice. after, yeah, there, there's always that awkward thing too, where right after they want to get the finish line photo and they just do a marathon and they're exhausted, and the person, the race director, the media coordinator is like, "Here, hold up this flag right away," like as they're stumbling. Um, but this was not much better. I love it. I love it. Okay. Let's go to what's next, Gordon. Controversy. Controversy. Oh, let's talk about the this controversy. My favorite, this is my favorite story of the weekend. Uh, this made headlines in mainstream press, AP Reuters, both wrote about it at the Vienna marathon, Dorara Harissa, Ethiopian runner won the Vienna city marathon. But afterwards, Gordon was disqualified when they realized that his soles were too thick. Remember, they instituted the stack height limits in previous years as part of the super shoot era, 40 millimeters. Well, his were too big. His were too big. So he won the race in 209.22 and says 45 minutes later, according to the Reuters article, they had to, to disqualify him. So a couple of different thoughts and theories on this, and I want to get your, your opinion. So according to the Reuters article, the, the coordinator, Hans Longer says, uh, we stress in the technical meeting, the, the rules about the shoes. Unfortunately, we had no other choice than disqualifying the athlete. It's the first time something like this happened. I'm pretty sure that from now on, there'll be some form of checks to avoid something like this to happen again in a major race, which surprised me because I thought, hey, aren't they already checking these things? But I guess their whole approach is you go to the technical meeting, you sew them your shoes and they're like, okay, those are cool, but they're not checking the morning of the race. They're just going to DQ you after the fact once they look at your shoes, which was surprising to me. And everyone's like, oh, it's so hard. You can't check everybody's shoes. Well, no, you don't need to check the shoes of the people in three hours. You just check the elite field. and. They do this in high school track meets in the US and I'm sure worldwide all the time with the, the length of the spikes. Someone could be there checking the shoes and making sure they, they, they conform. So this leaves me with three theories here, Gordon. One, he just forgot, right? He, cause Adidas makes a trainer. I think Nike makes a trainer too that's above the allowable limit. And then there's the racer that's under the allowable limit. One, he forgot, right? Had the two pairs of shoes, just put them on. Two, he didn't forget and was always planning on wearing them. And then the shoes that he brought to the technical meeting were different. Or three, this was intentional to get us to show this pair of Adidas shoes and for media to talk about this pair of Adidas shoes. What do you think it is? Well, first of all, we got to throw out number three. It is not a viral marketing scheme because I'm telling you, Adidas is not thinking about the Vienna City Marathon 209 runner as their... <laughs> Catalyst you don't think for promoting it's you don't think it's gonna products. convince you don't think it's gonna convince people in an area in an era of 159 like whoa look at this super shoe the guy ran 209 yeah, you know that's no. persuasive so, it's not so i think i think i think he was trying to cheat i don't think he's cheating because i don't put the super shoe stuff all that but i think he was trying to get break the rules i think he's like oh show him that all right they're the same color they're not going to double check. I'm good. I'm going to run home, take the shoes off, switch them out. I'll be good. I think, I don't think it, you, you, you know, if you're wearing two different types of shoes, I know if I'm wearing one pair versus the other, you're not going to mix mm. them up. You know that they're different for a reason. So I think it was a, a malicious intent. Um, but it's crazy. The, 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 the hoops and ladders you go through just to run a 209 marathon, right? You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it worked. He won. He could have got prize money for the win, but he's not doing that. I'm sure he regrets yeah. it. And I, I bet you he probably would have still won if he wore the other damn shoes. I think. Yeah, there's not much of a talent. Yeah, it's not much well, difference. He's like, come on, man. 39 to 39 to 42 or whatever these ended up being. And I mean. Yeah, 39 he's, millimeters to 42 millimeters. Is it? Yeah. It, so he's he was i looked him up pb 208 so again putting on the the taller shoes and running slower i don't think is the viral marketing campaign that they were going for again but it gets people talking but i would i would have done it if i was going for a stunt here i would have done it with a you know somebody who could smash a record my other thoughts one that's a really long way to run 
to get DQ'd and to have no, no, no prize money. Two, if the protocol is like this on every major marathon, I'm glad something like this happened at a lower stakes race, because if this happened at a major with nobody checking, yeah. if we're going to, you know, take the, take the race director's word here. And he's like, I guess we're actually going to have to start checking shoes. Yeah. Yeah. You should, that's something you should do. You should definitely check the equipment before they start competing. Because if this happened in a race where a whole bunch more money was at stake, and instead of having a 208 or 209 person running, you had a bunch of 202s, 203s, and you had to DQ someone after the fact, that would be much more unfortunate. You can avoid all this. Just have them, when they do the gear check, you know, check their shoes and have so, your little measuring tape. Well, the thing is, though, you don't want to do it in the beginning of the race because it's like, they're all getting ready. You have to find a way to, like, watermark the shoe the day before, being like, okay, we approved the shoe, and we need to have a way to know that you're using the shoe on the starting line. So you could put, like, a little, like, zip tie that is is unique that can't be duplicated to, to other shoes or like a okay. stamp i think a stamp would be cool you have like a like you have like a boston marathon logo stamp that only mm -hmm. there's only one stamp in the entire world and it's the one person at the clerking table and they stamp the white part and they know the stamp can't be duplicated okay i like it and that's cool and that's commemorative and you've just managed to monetize it too because you can sell the stamp. I like that. It's good entrepreneurial yeah. spirit. But also you could have the clerk sit there because you know how these marathons go. They wait around for a long time and they'd show up in their uniform and you'd be like, measure the shoes. And if your shoes aren't legal, get out of here. <laughs> and if they are, go start the race. And you can go line up in the corral and stand there for, for 20 minutes. Or maybe if you forgot them and you accidentally brought the, the 60 millimeter jumbo ones and you're out there, you know, in, in heels, then you run to your coach and get the other ones and, and bring them. I, I, this, of all the debate and drama and controversy around shoes, this seemed like the easiest thing to fix. It's like, if you're trying to, if you've made a rule, you can, you can fix it. Track and field, they love rules. They figure out how to DQ 10 high school kids a year from state championships because of jewelry or mismatched uniforms, they can figure this out. Yeah. I do think he thought that, oh, it's just like, they're not going to check. They're just, it's a threat <laughs> that they're not going to actually follow up on. And he's like, oh mm -hmm. shit, they, they're actually checking. And he's like, dang it. I, I thought I could get away with it. Because if he probably would have finished 10th, no one would have said anything too. Because I'm sure they only checked the shoes of the people they were giving prize money to. Because that's like a financial yeah, reason who cares yeah. if you got 10th or not. Um, and he kind of got caught with this, with his shoes on. <laughs> got caught with his shoes on. <laughs> that, that folks, is a, is a Gordon special there. Is that t-shirt um, line? I got caught yeah. with my shoes on. Get, get, get Lincoln to start doing the merch. All right. We got two. Well, I'll just. Fifth Ave, Gemma Riki, Jake Whiteman win. So. Good, good weekend for uh, Team GB, by the way, with Ricky Whiteman and Mark Scott. U.S. 10-mile. Oh, I, uh, I, I have a galaxy brain uh, theory on the Fifth Avenue Mile. You ready? Okay. It wasn't my idea. This idea was given to me by someone I know. I'm not sure if this You're person wants me to, to give them credit for it, so I'm just going to say it and let it go, be out there in the universe. So this okay. – Race was the same weekend as another road race that Jenny Simpson ran in, where she got second at the 10 miler in Washington, D.C. Yeah. yeah. So great race for Jenny, 10, second place. Uh, mm -hmm. It was probably a race that she probably could have won. The person she lost to doesn't have the same type of resume as Jenny Simpson. But Jenny had won how many straight of these meets? Oh, these, it, these runs? It, it, it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's a long, it's a long list. It's like a perfect streak. Yeah. But clearly she was yeah. able to run that weekend. Yeah. Do you think she didn't run at Fifth Ave because she wanted to protect her streak and let the beginning, middle, and end just be perfection and not end with like, oh, the last one, it was a sixth place finish? Like, do you think she purposely didn't I... run to protect her Fifth Avenue legacy? No, I think she wanted to run... I think this is the sign. This is the clear. This is we're seeing a transition. I think in her career to longer distances. I don't know if it's going to go all the way to the road, but I think this is this is her making a choice 
between the two the two races and this is where she's at in her career i think it's got to keep that you don't want to you don't want the blemish it's like elway go out on top with the the super bowl oh i don't blame her for doing that yeah yeah i don't blame her for doing that yeah okay if they weren't on the same weekend like what's the what's the point if she doesn't think she can compete at you know in in the in this mile distance and it serves no purpose what's the point of her running it then yeah you might as well keep the streak streaks are great i love streaks everybody loves streaks so keep the streak but it's like eventually so i don't know say someone had a consecutive years winning the, the 1500 or something at usa's or 800 or something but it's clear that they're that's not their distance anymore i mean there's eventually going to be a championship where they move up and i think that's where or move to a different event and that's where she's at in her in her career but like what would doing a road mile at this point in her season what purpose would that serve in previous years it made a bunch of sense because she'd been running really fast in the mile in 1500 all summer so go back do one more and end with a victory this year that wasn't the case she's transitioning to something else at least for the short term so what's the point of running the mile there's no there's no valor i know you like to talk about like you give people credit for for showing up even when they know they're going to get beat and i get that um but like if there's no purpose to run the race in the to begin with then i don't blame anybody for being like why go run go there and get seventh or eighth or something when i could do a 10 mile and push myself in a different yeah. direction yeah so do you and think it, jenny's uh 10 mile at dc is any can give you any inclination is that the right word i don't know if that's a word inclination's a word yeah inclination Indi- inclination into a potential oh, long inside. distance in- career for jenny simpson not a long distance career that's like showing up and high five because uh, you're a legacy athlete, I'm talking about yeah. having being able to be in top three uh, fitness, whether it's in a marathon or a 10k, mm. 5k. What so you're saying was this one fast enough to prove that? Yeah, maybe not I think fast enough, was... but like solid enough. I think it was solid. I think we need more. I think we need to see more. And I don't know how long she's been gearing towards the longer stuff. I remember when I interviewed her at the beginning, April, maybe she took pride in not like sticking with her event and not being basically run out of the event. She switched once from the steeple to the 15, but then, you know, made all those 1500 meter teams. So I think she's acutely aware of, Hey, the goal here is to, to make teams and optimize the ability I have left. Is that in the five and ten? Are you thinking something longer? Or are you talking like five and ten? I don't know. Five, ten. It just it seems really like hard. Try to go like the Molly Huddle route and start hitting up all those USATF fifteen k, twenty k, twelve point eight nine two k, twelve k of uh, minus a a third. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's so many uh, races. This, this, square, this square, square root k. Uh that I could there's see. There's a 7K. That, I know there's a 7K, which is ridiculous. I'm like, what are we doing here? Why do we have a 7K? Yeah. That, that I could see. Well, it's somebody's best distance. So you just don't know who that person is until they run it. I, at this point in her career, it seems tough to go with how long and how well she's run the um, 1500. It just seems real tough to be able to jump all the way up to the marathon at this point in her career but those road race distances that you mentioned and and then maybe five and ten on the track i could see her making a go at that in 2022 for sure i think it'd be most exciting to see jenny run a 10k i think that would be the thing that i'll get most excited because we've seen her in the five we know what she can do she knows we know she can yeah be in the 15 flat maybe at her best 1450 range but like 10k is like that race where it's like ooh. What happens when you when you take her her mm-hmm. raw talent and her incredible years of success and throw it all into a tank? Yeah. Well, you look at the fives. I mean, twenty twenty she ran one. It was indoors. Nineteen mostly indoors. Her last 
what I would say serious sort of in the prime of a season and a fast opportunity was thir- 2013 when she ran 1456. So was that the best chance for her to run a fast 5K? It may be, you could say, because she's you know so much younger, but also in many ways she got better since since that time too. But I agree, 10K is enough of a jump up uh, to where we could see we could see her her thrive, and I think it looks like she's kind of trending in that direction. Um, let's have you lead the way on these these previews. We have Zagreb and Bellinzona coming up here uh, on the on the Continental Tour. What are you looking for? So for clipping purposes, we're going to do a mega preview. This is the mega Zagreb Bellinzona preview, both live on Flow Track on the 14th. So it's on Tuesday. So by the time you see this, hopefully it's not Tuesday yet. Hopefully it's Tuesday morning or Monday night. I don't know. Or now, because you're watching this live now. But Zagreb, we got Jackson versus Mboma once again. Mboma has gotten the best of Jackson twice now in the 200. So this is the trilogy. Can Jackson mm-hmm. get Mboma? Can we see another fast time? They've been running the 21.8s, 21.7s. Can we see a, another repeat of that? Or can we see something even better? I don't know. They're running out of races to go fast. So maybe they put all their <laughs> eggs in this one final 200-meter basket. That's going to be mm-hmm. an exciting matchup to watch live on flow. 100th, though, on the men's side. It's also going to be pretty juicy. At Zagreb, you got Baker, you got Bromel, you got Bracey, you got the Triple Bs going at it. One of these guys isn't making the 2022 world team. Will this be a way for us to decide who that's going to be? Is a third-place finisher in the Baker-Bromel-Bracey matchup going to be the person who finishes (laughs) fourth at the 2022 championships? Because we know Curly's going, right? We know... Christian Coleman's going. There's only two spots left. So wow, you're you're putting you're making the team right now. You're making. I'm the making the team, team right now. In September not get of 2021. <laughs> wow. You better not get third in this race, boys. It's a triple Raising B matchup for yes. Then moving over to Bellinzona, which is in Switzerland, we have another hundred. We got Curly, DeGrasse, Gatlin. I kind of like it. We got a splitting up the hundreds. You have a good hundred in Zagreb, and you have a good hundred in Bellinzona. First of all, before I keep on going on this Bellinzona preview, I never heard of the the city Bellinzona, but it has a great name. Bellinzona? Mm -hmm. Love it. Great city name. Top 10 in my opinion, especially in Europe. Anyway, Curly, DeGrasse, Gatlin. Here we go. We know, I know we already did this. (laughs) We We did did it already. Who's the best sprinter? Between Curly, DeGrasse, and Bednarik. Bednarik chose not to show up. So now we, here we go. Curly, DeGrasse, for all the marbles. <laughs> this, is this is a tiebreaker. Whoever wins this is the best sprinter in 2021. Gatlin has said that this is his last race. However, he's also in the Nairobi 100 in mm-hmm. next on Saturday. So this may not be his last race. But it also might be his last race. So... Because we don't know, you should watch it to find out. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to miss it. You know, you want to watch it, or you don't want to think that he's going to run again and then miss it. So, yeah, yeah. Gatlin's final 100. You got to watch it live on Flow. Again, both of these meets live on Flow on Tuesday. And then Shelly and Fraser Price. She's going to be there. She skipped the Diamond League. She skipped the Diamond League for the Bellinzona meet. You know what that means? She, like, she likes the name of the city, too. One, she likes to name the city, but two, she wants to run fast one last time. We're talking mm-hmm. 10 sixes, baby. We're talking 10 sixes. We're going to see it from Shelly and Fraser Price. She wants to be able to have the last like headline, right? Mm-hmm. She let mm-hmm. Elaine Thompson have the headlines at the Olympics, had the headline against Shakari, had the headline at Diamond League, but then maybe the last great Jamaican 100 that we see is going to be headlined by Shelly Ann. So she's timing it perfectly. She's like, ooh, you're going to zig? I'm zagging to Bellinzona. Shelly and Fraser Price. So watch both of these live on FlowTrack, September 14th. If it's not September 14th anymore and you're watching this video on YouTube and it's September 15th, go back and watch, watch the replay. Just watch the yeah. replay. The archives are also on FlowTrack. And we also throw them up on our YouTube channel sometimes. So get all the content. 
That is the mega Zagreb Bellinzona preview. That was good. Well done. That good? Like you covered it all. I can't I can't top it. That was strong. Yeah, you basically said if you want to win any medal again in your career, you need to win in these two meets. <laughs> yes. yes. No pressure. That's how it works. If you want to make a single dollar again in track and field, you have to perform on September 14th. All right. I guess we'll yeah. leave it there then. You covered it. Remember, remember the 14th of September. That's what they say. Is that a thing? Yeah, no, you know, remember, remember the fifth of November. It's oh, okay. V for Vendetta, the whole. Okay, all right. I lost. There we you. go. I lost you. We're it's ending okay. on a high note. It's, Play the we music. We should have quit. We should have quit while we're ahead. Thanks, Colt. Yes. Thanks, Travis. Like and Thanks subscribe. That wins podcast. Do all the stuff. Bye, everyone.